So that's what we talked about last lesson. Any questions on that? Okay. Um, today we're going to be talking about our work, the work of uh, the church. We're going to have a specific lesson, a lesson for the work of the church, but we're going to talk about the work of, of us, okay? Us as a believer. Um, the propositional statement, everybody get notes? The propositional statement for today's uh, class is God uses our work. God uses our work to bring glory to himself. We're going to cover just two points tonight, but they are chock full of truth. Uh, so we're, we're going to labor through them. The first is that the essence of our work is the fulfillment of the great commandments. And we'll cover that here in a second. The two great commandments that Christ uh, made mention of in, in uh, Matthew. The second point is that our work should reflect the fruit of the gospel. The manner in which we work should reflect the fruit of the gospel. Okay. Beginning with the first point, let me uh, let me stop a second. Let's let's pray, guys. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. You have set aside to teach us about these things. Lord, I pray that your truth be communicated to my brothers and sisters here, Lord. You take Daniel and I, Lord, for us, the gargantuan, but for you, they are feeble others. Lord, that you would multiply them. Lord, I pray that your spirit right now would be working in, in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would hear tonight what you want them to hear. Lord, not necessarily what Daniel and I think is important, Lord, but, but what you want them to hear. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, help them with the truth we discussed tonight. Help them put them into practice, Lord. Help them apply them. Lord, that their offering to you would be acceptable. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys. Uh, we begin the lesson looking, in fact, at the first two commandments. From Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So let's begin with the first commandment. The vertical relationship uh, that by his work, as we talked about last time, by God's great work of the gospel we have with him. Uh, I'd like somebody to look up uh, John 14, 21, please. John 14, 21. When somebody's there, please raise your hand so I know you have it. I'm going to ask you to read it here in a few seconds. Okay? Corey has it, right? You got The rest of you guys can stop looking unless you, you want to get to it. We'll have Corey read that in a minute. What we're going to establish here in the first, uh, in the first point tonight... Uh, about the first commandment is, uh, is is a very simple but profound concept, which is that um, God has established work. He has commanded it. Uh, we'll see that. We'll review a few uh, a few scriptural references to that in a second. He has commanded it. He has established it as one of our creative purposes. And therefore, when we obey that, when we work, we are, in fact, fulfilling the first commandment. Let me have Corey read chapter 14, 21, please. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Thank you. That's, um, that's obviously Christ speaking. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Incredible statement. It is similar in many ways to Hebrews 11, 6, which talks about the only way to please God is through faith. And there's, there's a great relationship between obedience and faith. For, for those of us who may be in a place right now, God may have us in a place where you don't know what you're doing, doing what you're doing. You may, you may be in a job where you're discouraged. You may be in a job where you, you see it as a dead-end job. Uh, you can't see God's great purpose in this. Well, let me encourage you with this truth from John 14, 21, that... God loves blind obedience. If you want to demonstrate to God that you love Him, His Word says the way to do that is through obedience. So even though this may not be what you feel you're particularly equipped to do, this may not be what you prefer to be doing, simple obedience is an act of faith. And, and faith, as we know from Hebrews 11, 6, is, is the means by which we please God. And again, from as we see in John 14, 21, obedience is the means by which we show God that we love Him when we love God, we are fulfilling the first commandment. Okay, so 
that's simply the, the first point we're making there. We'll, we'll shoot through these scriptures fairly quickly because I think they're well known to you guys. Uh, work was originally good, established in Genesis 1.28, as we saw last week. And God assessed it in Genesis 1.31, along with his assessment of man. The cre- all the creation done on the sixth day is very good. As compared to the creation he had done on the other five days, which he assessed as good. Um, it's a central part of our creative purpose. Um, why did God put him? Why did God put Adam in the garden? In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Of Eden, to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it, very simply. That, that was part of our creative purpose, to work and keep the garden. Uh, we all know that work was tainted by the fall. Um, third chapter of Genesis. Now, there's a relationship between work and sustenance. There was no relationship originally between our sustainment, our ability to, what God has given us. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God says, I give you every tree in the garden for food. He gives it to us. There's no earning it. He gives it to us. Work is something he established separate from sustainment. With the fall, now there is a relationship between work and, 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 uh, and feeding ourselves. And let me have somebody look up Genesis 3, 17 through 19, please. Oh, so you there? Okay, Sean's there, Sean. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, you shall, not, you shall not eat of it. The ground is cursed for your sake. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. But it shall also bring forth thorns and thistles to you, and you shall eat uh, the herb of the field. In the in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. So now not only is work painful now, but now man is forced to work for his sustenance. That's part of the curse for our disobedience in the garden. Um, it's also, as we well know, works, our work is insufficient as a means to stand justified before God. We know that from many, many scriptural verses, but probably the most prominent one in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It's also insufficient to please Him, as we know from Hebrews again, 11, 6, where only, we know that only through faith can we please God. Only through faith can we please God. So, certainly work takes a different tone to it after the fall. And, and I think that's all we need to say about that. It's also reiterated in the Mosaic Law. And, uh, let me have a Eddie, can you go to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10, please? Eddie is looking up the fourth commandment. Eddie, if you have a memory on this, you can just say it. Uh, what did you say, Exodus what? Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath, the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your manservants, mate or your maidservants, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. That's good. That's good. Um, essentially, what I wanted to highlight there is typically we look at that as the fourth commandment is, is keeping the Sabbath, and that's appropriate. That's, that's God's emphasis in the Mosaic Law is for us to keep the Sabbath. However, embedded in that is the, are the words, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So there's a reaffirmation in the Mosaic Law that yes, what I established in the garden, what I established in Genesis 3, now continues. It's, it's formally codified, so to speak, in, in, a, in the Mosaic Law. It's part of the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath. There's also a reaffirmation that the other six days you shall labor and do all your work. Uh, and then finally... One, one thing I want to distinguish here, even though blind obedience is pleasing to God, and, and, and I don't want to use the word blind obedience, obedience is pleasing to God, it's, it's, a, it's a, an act of faith to obey God, particularly, again, when we don't see purpose and meaning in a particular vision at the end of the tunnel, uh, other than we obey because God said so. Uh, he is so gracious and good that uh, for those of us who, who are of faith, for, for His people, uh, it's, it's not simply an act of obedience. When, by God's grace, 
uh, when we are saved, there, there is a miraculous transformation in, in our ability to reassign significance to work. Okay, we are no longer, um, now we can find significance in work. By that I mean we can go forward and we will be rewarded based on our work. We are not saved because of our work, but certainly the work we present to God as an offering will be rewarded. And we see that, we saw that last week when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we'll see it again a little bit. The parable of the talents, you know, the, the, the good stewards who, who took what their master had given them and multiplied it, uh, were, were commended. And that is, there, there in fact will be a reward for, for our life as, as servants of God. And not, not for justification, but beyond justification. So that is a great gift, my friends. That's something we can look at and say, you know, he's silently placed me where he's placed me. I will obey, but more than that, I can expect a reward for what he has established. He's established good work for us to work in, to walk in. More than that, he will reward you for the good works that you walk in. So it is, it is a great gift. Uh, in, his, in his great grace to us, it's more than blind obedience. There, there is also significance attack, reattached to our work after the cross. I don't want to say after the cross, but for those who are of faith, there's uh, value reassigned to work. And it's also a blessing. And, uh, let me have uh, Fernando, you look up. You bring a Bible tonight, Fernando? Okay. Cassie, you bring a Bible? Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26, please. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Thank you, Cassie. And there, not only does our, our work now have significance, and it's a means by which we can earn reward in heaven, but it's also enjoyable. God has given us the, the gift of making our work enjoyable. And clearly, this is Ecclesiastes. It's prior to the cross. But the reference there to, uh, to the one who pleases him. Again, we know that the only, the only way we can please God is through faith. So really, we're talking about the body of believers there. Okay, well, the one who pleases him is the one who has faith, and, and he is the one that God rewards with enjoyment of his toil. So very, very profound truth, and again, a great mercy from God. Okay, work also serves um, as a means uh, for us to fulfill the second commandment, and this is an often overlooked truth. Okay, again, in, in the drudgery of day-to-day, -day, get up, you know, get, in, get dressed, get in the car. You know, drive wherever your vocational place happens to be and doing your work. <laughs> we can forget that really the essence of work, we don't serve God. We, we may make offerings to Him with our work. We may say, Lord, I do this for you. Present this as an offering. But God is not served by human hands. Right? We know that God is not served by human hands. Acts 17, 25. But we do serve our fellow man. There is, there is no one in this room who is doing anything right now vocationally that does not serve his fellow man. And even, it may not be the entire humanity, you know, you may be an administrative assistant, and, you know, your influence may be over an office of four or five people, but nonetheless, you're serving those four or five people, you know. Uh, Jose runs a property management company, you know. He serves both the people who need repairs to their, um, uh, to their homes, as well as the people who entrust that to them, because they don't have the time or the means to look at the property the way possible. So he is, he is serving mankind. What he's offering is a service to mankind. It, it's very much, when, when done appropriately, it's, it's very much an act of love. Um, and you grab a few. Thank you. Appreciate your help. The best slide on the show is, is right at this point here, guys. So, uh, God is humbling me. I, I need humbling. But, uh, I was uh, in San Antonio, Texas last week. As a matter of fact, I flew back in 
few hours later, I was teaching the class, and so I was on a plane on the way back from, from San Antonio, and uh, I was working on the presentation on my laptop, and uh, decided to take a little break. So, Tim, forgive me, but I was on American Airlines, and uh, I pulled out uh, I pulled out American Airlines magazine, and I started to flip through it. Okay, and for page, how many of you guys? How many of you guys have flown recently? You know, always one of the first pages in those magazines is a message from the head cheesemo, right? The head cheesemo has something to say. So, um, the uh, the message was from uh, a guy named Gerard Harping. He is the CEO and chairman of American Airlines, and he had a little article there. Listen, I have it on the slide, but listen to what he had to say. He said, "Check out your fellow travelers." And imagine the multitude of reasons they are flying today. The woman next to you might be, on, might be on her way to a pivotal business meeting. The man behind you might be about to see his new grandson for the first time. The young lady across the aisle might be on her way back to college. To me, our ability to enrich people's lives by transporting them quickly from one part of the world to another is very inspiring. But the wonders we make possible are not confined to the passenger cabin. In the belly of any American Airlines jet, there may be tropical flowers on their way to a florist in Boston, semiconductors en route to a manufacturer in Texas, fresh seafood being transferred from Chilean waters to Chicago dinner plates, and, or even the diadem. And then he talks about how American Airlines had transported part of the uh, King Tut exhibit, a diadem specifically. I don't know if I Gerard Arpe is a believer or not. But I know that at least in, in this little article, he's expressing biblical truth. When, when he says it is inspiring to serve mankind, he, he's looking at this not as, not as a means of making profit. And we'll talk about profit in, in, a few, uh, in a few minutes here. But he's looking at this as a means of serving these people. And he talks about the grandfather going to see his grandson, the young lady going back to college. That is the correct, that is the correct way we should look at our work. You know, it is it is for our sustenance. You know, due to, due to the fall, it is to our sustenance. But God has made it a blessing, and it, and it serves as a means by which we fulfill the second commandment. For most of us who are, who are not in vocational ministry, this is the way we serve God. This is the way we fulfill the second commandment. Um, let me have uh, somebody look up. Kevin, if you could look up Matthew twenty five forty, please. Matthew twenty five forty. Relationship. 
So it's within that restored relationship that now, because we're in a relationship to him, it has any sort of meaning or significance. And the example I can give you is when Ralph and I were working on some of this material, there was there were some difficulties and there was some uh, relational difficulties. And uh, I remember going to one of the breakfasts and we, we sat down and, and so I started talking about material. And very quickly, Rafa shut me down and, and we talked relationship. And we did for the whole breakfast. And to a great extent, we never even, we never talked anything about the lessons themselves in that breakfast meeting. And that's really the picture here of the gospel and the importance of the gospel because you have to have the relationship restored before what it is that you're doing either for God or for man has any significance or meaning. So that's the connection for both the first and second commandments. And so as you deal with that, as you, as you think about that, it's, they're inherently relational. So, and then once the relationship is there, then the co-laborers, we are co-laborers with Christ. Why do we describe that way? Because we have a relationship with Him. And because now that relationship is established, the work that we perform has meaning because we're doing it with Him uh, and in the context of our relationship with Him. How many questions on that? I, mean, I think that's the best way to illustrate why we're talking first and second commandment. That's just the connection of that faith and obedience that Ralph was talking about. And that's that's where that, that links up. Thank you very much, Andy. Okay, guys. Um, let's talk. Let's just frame that a little bit. We talked about how vocations serve man. I'm just going to sit through this pretty quickly. But obviously there are those vocations that are directly involved in the, in the subdual of the earth. Okay? There's those vocations such as Mr. Arpady's vocation where he runs an airline that help us get from point A to point B quickly and thereby it's service. It, it allows us a myriad of things. We can we can get medicines from point A to point B. We can transport people from where they are to where they need to be. Uh, we can take missionaries. Uh, we can move cargo, equipment, supplies to the areas that have been impacted by hurricanes or uh, any, any type of natural disaster. So it allows us to shrink the earth. You know, we can sit in Chicago, Illinois, and send an email to uh, to Shanghai in a matter of minutes. You know, we, we can communicate in ways that we've never been able to communicate. Uh, these are all ways in which we exercise dominion over God's creation. The, the harder path we build bridges, we build uh, we go to environments like Tucson, Arizona, where we're able to build communities and live in the middle of the desert. We're able to live in places like Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, where you know I was cold this morning in Miami. I don't want to be in Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, but it is because we, are, we exercise dominion over the creation. You know, we subdue the earth. You know, God has given us that ability. He's given us that mandate. He's impressed that in our hearts. Uh, there are also those vocations that mitigate for our fallen state, and God has also established those. You know, I spent 23 years in the army. Now, a defense consultant. Okay, so I'm doing the same types of thing. Daniel obviously is involved in that as well. Some of you are. Is Resi here tonight? Resi, Resi is a nurse. You know, she mitigates for man's fallen state. You know, when our bodies start to break down, she works in the Veterans Administration right now. And our bodies start to go and break down, she lends comfort. You know, that is a vocation God has established to provide comfort to his people, or, you know, to, to mankind. For, for his people, it's, it's a blessing. For, for, for unbelievers, it's common grace. You know, prolonging their lives and, you know, giving them opportunity to, to respond to the gospel. Uh, so there are those vocations that obviously mitigate for our fallen state. There are vocations that stimulate us. You know, we watch a we watch a football game. You know, and competitive fires are burning. You know, we, we go out there and, and uh, we want to run around on Turkey Bowl days. You know, we saw it on TV. You know, we kind of have it in. We want to go out there and replicate it. So they inspire us. They, they motivate us. We see great art, great drama. You know, great movies, great books. They stimulate us. Okay, these are these are gifts from God, guys. These are ways we serve each other. Uh, there are God's assigned role to each of us. Um, you know, some of them may not be particularly um, showy, glamorous, but, but they are God's means that He's established um, to serve mankind. Um, 
the common thread through all vocations is as we look at it. Again, we, we talked about this last time when we talked about God upholding the earth. The common thread in our vocations is the fact that we are, in, in, in doing them, we are dependent upon God. You know, no man can execute his vocation without God. Likewise, no man can execute his vocation without others. You know, we talked a little bit about this last time, but you know, um, Sean Worley's a marketing. You know, he depends on people to produce his food, to fix his car, to provide him electricity, to build computers so that he can do analysis, uh, phones so that he can make phone calls. He, there is no way he could exercise his, his vocation without others. And, and we are all in the same boat. I think that's pretty clear to see. And that is what God is. This is a universal truth. God created us with gifts and talents and also areas where we're not gifted and talented. You know? Um, and, and that is that is by design. That is by design. One is we're appropriately humble. We can stand before him and recognize his greatness. And secondly, we are dependent on each other. And that's he created us for this interdependence. We see that we see that reality mirrored not only in society, but we see it mirrored in the church. You know, Ephesians 4 is the model, you know, we've heard preached many times at Palm Vista, but it's the model for church living. You know, care for one another. Everyone exercise their role. The teachers teach. The encouragers encourage, etc. So that's saying that is a universal truth. It has application in the church. It has application in the world. Uh, because that's the way God established it. Okay, so and, and when you look at the things you do, you know, way of recognition that in order for you to do what you do, there's a lot of other people, believers and non-believers, that have to do what they do. And, it, and for the non-believers, they're constrained by God to do it. You know, they're striving after the wind. God constrains them to do these tasks. Um, so again, we're dependent on God primarily, and we're also dependent on each other. And that's the way you create it. Um, okay. Now we talked about the first commandment, we talked about the second commandment. We can wrap them together and say that the ultimate end of our work is clearly, you know, the, uh, the propositional statement from our teaching today is to bring glory to God. Okay, let's talk first about what it means to bring glory to God. Who, who knows what it means, or who has a definition of what it means to bring glory to God? Number. What uh, comes to mind is uh, the passage that uh, said that whatever I do, I do it to the Lord. Okay, worship. So worship is, is a way of glorifying God. Well, I mean, also work. Whatever I do, I do it right. Right. Colossians three twenty. Right. But it, what by I mean, your work is, is a form of worship. I'm doing it for God. Yes. So, uh, what else? What other definition of glorifying God, David? We always used to teach our kids, or we always teach our kids, show God, don't show off. Very good. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? That. The motivation for what we do should be that people can know more about God, and that should be the result that by watching us, they know more about God than it's the result. Exactly. Exactly. My name, do you want to add something to that? Yeah. Just uh, bringing recognition to God, um, being living in a fallen world, we know we can't see God, and if we did, things would be a lot easier. Uh, but because we can't, uh, I think our job in the Lord planned out is to, to recognize Him and you know, to just uncover, unveil His greatness and acknowledge uh, who He is in our life. Excellent. Excellent, bro. Spot on, guys. The, uh, you know, it, we're using the word here, imaging, but that's exactly what you guys describe. You know, uh, John Piper uses the analogy of, the, of a uh, telescope. He says a telescope is able to take something that is very far away, very magnificent, but very far away, and it brings it near and it shows people what it's like. You know, it, it, it images what, what you're looking at. So the person who's very far away can say, wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. Uh, in no way does it capture the radius and the beauty of what is actually being looked at. But it, it certainly magnifies it to the degree that the person who's looking at it sees it more clearly than it did before. And that's, that's exactly what you guys described. And that's what we talk about when we say glorifying God. That's um, as a central means by which we glorify God, by imaging Him. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's look at John 3, 16, uh, 21. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned the river, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Reference the works. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Isn't that profound? Uh, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So that is that is something that we... You can watch a, a beaver build a dam, and you can say, man, that's amazing. God has created a creature that is able to build a dam. The difference between the beaver and us, guys, is that the beaver is not consciously attempting to bring glory to God. He's not... He will bring glory to God. You know, the rocks will cry out and praise God. But the difference he's given in us is we can make a conscious decision to magnify God, to glorify God. We can, we can do that in our work, you know, as, as we see in this scripture here. Um, we come to the light, you know, sitting on the hill, and we'll see that passage a little bit. And we, we represent what we are by the manner in which we work, by the goodness of our work. Okay? It is a conscious decision to display what, what we are able to do, and again, the key phrase there is, in God. In God. As Daniel so, so well put, only when relationship is restored, only when there's reconciliation, are we able to do this. What a wonderful, typically, John 3.16 is, is uh, you know, what can you say about John 3.16? The link to John 3.16, verse 21, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. There, there is a Christian life right there, guys. That's Christian living play out. The application of the gospel. Okay. Let's talk about other ways of making God. I gave you guys in your handout a table. Excellent book here by uh, Wayne Grudem. How many of you guys have read this already? Cool. Oh. Uh, four of these. Well done. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, uh, there is what I think. I did in your handout is I synopsized each of the chapters, but he takes different aspects of business and he uh, he shows how typically the world may say this is a bad thing, you know, and he says no, this is a godly thing. This is a God-established thing. Not only is it God-established, but it images God as well. And I, I just picked one that uses an illustration: profit. Right? It's almost become a dirty word in our, in our society. Right? Profit is a bad thing. Ah, oh, you're greedy. You're ugly. You're making a profit. You're making a profit. Rude takes a completely biblical approach to this. Prophet is a signal, essentially, that you've, you've exercised Genesis 1.28. You've, you've taken the, the mandate to subdue creation, and you've done it well. Because you've produced something that has value to others. You know, the, the definition of prophet that he gives is, prophet is anything that is above me, I want to cost to produce something. And why do we assign prophet? Well, because I took some risk, right? But... He uses the example, he bakes 100 loaves of bread, and then he charges, it costs him $100 to make 100 loaves of bread, but he charges $2 for each loaf of bread, so he's going to make $200 and gain a $100 profit. Well, he took some risk. He, he has no guarantee at the beginning of the day that people are going to buy those, those loaves of bread. So he, he assumed some risk. He could lose his $100 that he spent making his bread. He also developed himself as a baker. He established a factory. He did all these things. So profit is actually an incentive for us to do the earth, right? It says, hey, I'm willing to take a little risk here for the, for the promise of a reward. Okay? For the promise of a profit, I'll take a little risk. If there were no profit, who would be foolish enough to take the risk? Right? Uh, also, that's a tremendous imaging of God. It's a tremendous imaging of the Christian life. Because that's what we're doing, guys, isn't it? We're, we're taking a risk that there's something better on the other side, right? And, uh, is it? I mean, that's what we're doing. We're making a profit. We're hoping for a profit. Someday we'll cash in. But right now, we're, we're taking a huge risk. You know, we're tithing 10% of the money. We're spending Sunday mornings in church. You know, we're working not for self-glory, we're working for God's glory. So, in all these things, we're accepting some risk, right? If we're wrong, you know, as Paul says, if we're wrong, then we're, we're to be pitied. 
you know, we are foolish, but we, we, are, we know, we, you know, it's not much of a risk for us. We know that there will be a reward on the other side. So, prophet images God. You know, images God. And uh, I love the scripture there in Hebrews 12 too. Who for the joys that was set before him endured the cross. Now, obviously, Christ knew, he knew the plan. Okay, being God, he knew the plan. He knew what would happen, but still, he became flesh, he came and dwelt among us, he endured the cross for the promise of what would come. People zealous for good works. Okay? But it, it's an image, it's a very rough image, but it's an image of prophet. Okay? He endured the cross for what the payoff would be. Let's look at a, 
talking about the effect of work on transforming people, I want to look at a few verses. If I could have a, uh, Jason, if you would look at John 5.36. Shay, if you would go to John 10.25. Who hasn't read yet today? Tim Coso, John 10.38, please. And Fabian, John 14.11. I want you guys to listen closely as these verses are being read. Remarkable similarity between these verses. Jason, go ahead. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. That's Christ speaking, guys. That's Christ speaking. Okay, who had the second uh, verse? Shane? Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in the Father's name speak for me. Okay, in ESV, that's Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. John 10, 25. Third, who's third, 10? But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. John 10, 38. And Fagan? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Okay. Guys, this isn't Raphael Schmetlap talking here. This is Christ. And, uh, you know, he is saying his words will testify about him. Okay? He, you know, the Savior is saying, look, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, believe what you see me doing. Believe what you see me doing. So, your work has tremendous power. And in each of these references, what he's trying to do is he, he's evangelizing. He's, evangel he's trying to convince people that he is who he says he is. You know? And, and each one that comes through is, look, if you don't believe... You don't believe what I'm saying. Believe what you're seeing. Believe the testimony of what I'm doing. That is amazing. Amazing. And our work, by God's grace, obviously, we're not raising the dead or healing the blind, but our work, by God's grace, has the same transformational effect, or can have the same transformational effect for those who are called. That is simply amazing. Um, okay. Let's talk about now what are, given, given those truths, Okay, we can fulfill the first commandment, we can fulfill the second commandment, and we can glorify God, we can magnify Him, and our work can have a transformational effect on the lives of others. Let's look at, given those truths, and pretty, you guys can walk the dog here as well as I can, but let's, let's look at some of the ways that that should inform the method by which we work, okay? Which is our second main point. Our approach to work should reflect the fruit of the gospel. And I cite there two excellent scriptures, Romans 12, 1, and Titus 2, 11 through 14. Uh, first, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, work diligently as for God, not for men. Again, going back to the first, the first commandment. Okay, we are we're doing this in obedience to God. Uh, primarily, that is what we're doing. Our, our primary relationship is, is with the Lord. Uh, uh, it is indeed the vertical dimension. This is Christ. Christ linked the first and second commandment. Clearly, it was the first commandment and the second commandment. So, primarily, do your work, as Colossians 3 23 says. Do your work as for God, not for men. And he doesn't need your service. You know, he's not served by human hands. But he requires that your work be done for him. Um, let me uh, share this with you. Who knows what that is? <laughs> That's a building. Excellent. Cassie, uh, what is it? That is a church in Spain, and it's not completed yet, but it's by um, Gaudi. Gaudi. Guys, uh, you didn't pick up on it earlier. Cassie is an architect. This, uh, Gaudi is, is, I don't know much about architectural history, but he is certainly one of the uh, greatest architects of, of the 20th century, if not of all times, got a very gifted man. Uh, this, he began building this structure in 1882. He died in, I think, the early 1920s. 
This is still under construction based on his concepts of what he wanted to do. They don't expect it will be finished until 2050. Okay, so it's going to take nearly 200 years to build this thing. When Shay and I went to Spain uh, to celebrate our 15th anniversary, we spent a day here uh, walking through this structure. The inside, posted this picture of the inside, is Gaudi's express intent was to show the way truth, to give the, uh, the person inside worshiping the sense that he was in a forest. Those were trees rising inside uh, the church as, as if we were in a forest worshiping God. Everything, everything in, inside this church has that level of detail and that, le that level of intentionality to it. It's, it's really inspiring. But let me tell you, Gaudi is a devout Catholic. And uh, somewhere towards the end of his life, uh, I wasn't able to find a quotation, but I remember pretty closely what, what uh, we learned when we were in Spain. The, uh, somebody asked Gaudi, he said, Gaudi, this thing's going to take forever. Said, you know, let's, let's move along here, you know. <laughs> it's going to take you forever. And his comment was, his response to that was, uh, my customer is not in a hurry. My customer is not in a hurry. And uh, again, I don't know where Gaudi was with God, but uh, I think there was a man living out Colossians 3 23 24. He was working for God. Some man was writing a check. You know, the government of Spain was giving the promise. But clearly this man was working for God. And that, that should likewise be the way we approach our work. Um, like, like the song says, to an audience of one. Um, okay. Very helpful um, scripture in, in the method by which we work. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know, again, that's, that's a scripture we typically look at when we're facing trials or tribulations. Uh, but certainly... Jessica, I know you go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You didn't bring a Bible? Okay. Uh, awesome. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you've not made a practice of applying this at work, you're going to do a presentation. You're going to you're going to go talk to your boss. You're going to go to a meeting. You're you're sitting at your computer crafting something. You can commune with God. You can say, Lord, first if you can express thanksgiving. You can say, Lord, thank you for the faculty you've given me to be able to think, to be able to work. Thank you for this job you've given me to serve in mankind. Lord, thank you. You you can be in, in minute by minute communion with the Lord as you work. You can you can ask God. For wisdom, when you don't know the Lord, I don't know. Should I use the twelve pin nail or the thirteen pin nail? You know, you know. Should I use the hacksaw or the sledgehammer? I'm not sure. Lord, help me. <coughs> How would you have me do this task? So, what are you about <laughs> The guys who know anything about construction are laughing. But, uh, but the point is, you can do that. You can't worship God, that man. You can commune with Him. You, know, you say, Lord, how does the gospel inform what I'm doing right now? How does the gospel inform us? You know, how, did, how, does your, how do your attributes inform what, about, what I'm about to undertake? You can have that kind of communion with God when you work. Okay. Um, there should be a degree, again, if, if we were appropriately applying this, I believe there should be a degree of jealousy with respect to your, your sphere of vocation. By that I mean, Let's take Tim Kelso. Tim Kelso works for the Miami Dade uh, City. Miami Lakes, or you work for Miami Dade County? Dade County. County? City. Uh, <laughs> and he's given he's a series of schools to go through about the day and fix things that are broken. You know, I guess everything from electrical stuff to, to hardware and fixing doors. <laughs> but that's what he does. But, Let's say Tim goes to a school, and, and I don't know if this is realistic or not, but uh, there's another there's another guy that we're working to, okay? Tim looks at him, and this guy's cutting corners, okay? He's clearly not into his job. You know, he's, he's has to do this because he's got he's to get a paycheck, but clearly this guy's not honoring God and what he's doing. Now, 
without self-righteousness, you know, that was us prior to salvation. Without self-righteousness, there should be a degree of jealousy there. Because that is not what God intended for service of mankind. That was not what God intended for carpenters and craftsmen to do. That was not what God had in mind. So there should be something in Tim's breast that says, I wish it looked better. You know, I want to see it better. Uh, and that can be healthy. That can be healthy for your workplace. It can be healthy for you to take that attitude. To be jealous, to see things done properly and correctly. Okay? Um, so that's another another method by which you can approach your work. Um, recognize, you know, Daniel will talk more about this next lesson, but um, you're in a very specific place. There is no accident as where you are. The people who are around you, the particular location God has given you, it's all, you know, this is the God of the universe that has determined exactly when and where you're going to live, as well as every other person around you, when and where they're going to live. So treat it as such. You know, there should be there should be no degree of casualness in your approach to the people in your work or the work you're doing. Okay? So it should be you should recognize that this is very intentional. God has placed there's there's no such thing as a hey, you come and work here now. Huh? Never would have thought that. You know, the first item is God has brought you here. You know. God has God has given us best next to each other, you know. Uh, so Take that approach. Uh, understand that God cares more about your work than you do. Okay, if you're tempted to cut corners, if you're tempted to be lazy, uh, remember that God cares more about what you're doing than you do. Okay, and that someday, just as you will be rewarded for your work, there's also uh, there's also in, in uh, Jeremiah forty eight ten. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness. Okay? Just as there can be reward, there can be rebuke as well. Okay? Um, doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. But clearly, the degree of reward and, and rebuke will be there as well. Uh, okay. So first point we mentioned was work diligently as for God. Second, work with an eternal perspective. Uh, again, um, do not work through this book. Recognize that your work has eternal implications, both for those around you who can be transformed by your work, as well as for your own reward. Okay? What you're doing is caring for God's creation uh, and, and communicating His work to others. That has eternal implications. So, again, nothing mundane, nothing casual about what you're doing. Very deliberate. I'm here for a purpose. Uh, this has eternal implications. This isn't just about the project. This isn't just about, you know, whatever it may be that happens. This isn't just about the five-year plan or the ten-year plan. This is about the gazillion-year plan, okay? Uh, so keep that in mind. It has eternal implications. Uh, work in a manner that adorns the gospel. Uh, let me have someone read Titus 2, 9, and 10. Eddie, can you go there, please? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Okay. That is the concept of adorning the gospel, guys. And all this talking about master-slave relationships, it can also be about senior-subordinate relationships at work, okay? To your boss, you should work in a manner that adorns the gospel. Okay, that makes the gospel attractive. Okay, similarly, the way you treat your subordinates uh, should should adorn the gospel for them with, with humility, and dignity, respect. Yet demanding, not demanding in a, in a simple way, but requiring from them performance of what they do. Uh, so, um, adorn the gospel by the way you work. Uh, make it attractive. Um, The method, obviously, by which you work communicates the gospel. Your humility, your willingness to admit mistakes, um, your willingness to seek forgiveness when you've done something wrong, 
Um, you know, I've, I've had times when I've been ashamed to work, I've done something wrong. You know, one time I lied. You know, I went to the guy I lied to and said, you know, I told you that it was a lie. You know, and it was very hard to do. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me of it. And the guy was more uncomfortable than I was. You know, he wasn't a, we didn't have a, he happened to be working on the same project. We didn't have a senior supporter relationship or anything like that. But when I told him that he was more, more embarrassed than I was, I don't know why, but he was. But, uh, so, but do that. I mean, that speaks to the gospel of the world. You know, this person is different. There's something different about this, this, this man or woman. Okay? Um, the substance of your work as well. I think we covered a little bit with God. What you're doing can marry the gospel. We see this a lot in the arts. You know, we see books like Le Miserable, plays like Le Miserable, books like that. Charles Dickens' The Tale of Two Cities is a tale of substitutionary sacrifice. You know? So the substance of your work, for some of you, you know, for an architect, uh, for some of you perhaps in, in, a, in healthcare, like Resi, the substance of it can have direct gospel. Okay, you can show great mercy. You can show, you can establish policies that are, are gospel-centric, you know, where there's a balance of justice and mercy. Uh, you, nothing is the gospel. You know, the gospel is only the gospel. But certainly you can image it in, in what you do. Uh, know that the work, work you do is God's agent is not in vain. First Corinthians 15, 58. And then finally, we, uh, we, we want to say rest within your labor. You know, after all is said and done, after all our, our desires to bring an offering that is acceptable to the Lord, you can rest within your labor. And uh, one is Psalm 127 is a wonderful psalm. Talks about building a city. Those who labor to build a city without the Lord are laboring in vain. Uh, so you know that God has prepared these work for you to do. You can rest with it as you do this. You know, Lord, I'm trying to do this. It's just not going very well today. Lord, I'm, I'm giving my best effort here. But Lord, I, today is, this was not would not be what you have for me to accomplish today. So I can I can rest within it. I can rest in sovereignty. I can be comforted in it. Um, enjoy walking in what God has prepared. He has saved us for good works. Titus 2.14. He has prepared good works for us to do. He fills us with the Spirit so we can obey Him. You know, sounds to me like kind of falling out of bed, guys. You know, not, you know, I'm being facetious here. But, you know, God has set us up for success. You know, He has set us up for success. So enjoy. Enjoy your labor. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Enjoy what you do. Rebel. You know, rather than be motivated and think, what's my next job going to be? Enjoy what God has given you to do that day. Be faithful and enjoy it. You know, we probably haven't done justice to relationships here, but there are, you are going, you know, if you're working in the world, you're going to be wrong. You know, you're going to be wrong. Somebody's going to steal your idea. Some boss is going to minimize you. He's going to disrespect you. Some subordinate is going to talk behind your back. You know, uh, somebody's going to call you a, a cook or a nut or, you know, you will be wrong. You know, we all know that, right? Nobody here is 12 years old. You're going to... We all know we're going to be wrong. But, uh, but you can suffer wrong choices. I mean, you, if we're resting in God, if we're resting in God, you can let it go. You can say, Lord, I, I don't need to be vindictive. I don't need to justify. You know, I, I'm a big justifier. You know, I do certain, something a certain way. My boss will come in and say, hey, I want it done that way, not this way. Oh, boss, this is the reason I did that. You know, I'm explaining it. And some of that is, is not ungodly. And some of that is just pure. I need to justify what I did. So, um, can I rest? Can I rest? I say, okay, we'll change it. We'll change it. No big deal. We'll change it. Um, can I rest? Can I rest? Do I, do I feel I need to justify myself to man? Or, you know, Praise God, then do all the justification I need. Okay? Um, keep the Sabbath. Again, you know, very specific command in the scripture, Exodus 29. You know, that's there for a reason. When we trust God with our seventh day of labor, you know, when we trust Him with rest. Um, a couple of, uh, last week, Sean, Sean, Sean has been in the last couple of jobs Sean's had. 
have demanded 12 or 14 hour days. And when I say demanded, there's there's pressure, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, for him to spend 12 to 14 hours at work. Okay? Uh, some of you may be in a similar situation. I don't know, but the point is, uh, recognize, again, like we talked about last lesson, you have more callings than your calling as a worker. You have a calling as a, as a father or a mother, as a church member, uh, as a son or a daughter. Uh, you know, you have other responsibilities, other callings that God expects you to perform well, to image him in those callings. Image him as a good son. Image him as a good father. Image him as a good friend, as a, as a faithful member of the church. Therefore, by definition, there's only so much time you can dedicate to your labor, to your, to your work, okay? There's only so much time. Um, so keep that in mind. You have multiple callings on your life. This is not the only one, okay? This is, this is an important one. For most of us, it's the one that's going to consume a great deal of our time, but it's not your only call, okay? It's not your only call. Can you rest in that? Um, and finally, when, when all is said and done, guys, our best efforts, our best offerings are going to be flawed. Uh, rejoice at the flaws in your work, your shortcomings as a worker uh, have been covered by the cross. You know, we, can, we can rest in that, guys. Okay. Any uh, questions or comments? Lane. Well, I'm, interested to, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on kind of the other side of that, which would be ambition and achievement, you know. Uh, I hear what you're saying about resting within within your labor and knowing what the, our limits are, eight-hour workday, you know, fulfilling our requirements. But what about um, uh, ambition? I don't think it's all bad. You know? Absolutely, absolutely not. The whole lesson is, we put this at the end, the whole lesson is a bit about ambition. I mean, that's by another name. I mean, we've been encouraging you to Work with proper ambition, not ambition. Yeah, right. you know, ambition to subdue his creation because he told us to. Ambition to portray him to other people in a manner that you know is, is uh, deliberate. I did this this way because I want you to know, you know who I serve. So all that's ambition for God. You know, it's ambition to see His kingdom prosper and move forward. Uh, I didn't use the word in my teaching, but really every every other thing we've discussed today has been about ambition. You are you. Are we in agreement on that? Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you. But thanks for bringing that up. It, it, it would be, uh, I mean, we may be tempted to, uh, to think that ambition is a bad thing. A bit, the right ambition is a good thing. Just like profit. The right profit is a good thing. Yeah, so, uh, we're actually going to get into this in lesson three as well. I mean, like the certain vocational call. I mean, because if you're talking about ambition to a great extent, a lot of people see that as, you know, as you're looking into the future. And so, we're going to talk some about that next lesson. So, We'll see if we can, you know, flesh that out a little bit. But I mean, obviously, Robert's got the focus here is correct ambition. Right? We'll we'll try to talk to incorrect ambition later. <laughs> <laughs> <Can't wait>. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Lane. Anyone else? Well, guys, let me just ask ask you this: What else? Uh, just we're not going to be able. To, you know, talk about everything. We're down about five minutes. Can you guys, is there, um, we don't want to turn this into a homework either, but in a way we do. Can you see an immediate application you can take from the teaching we had last week, the teaching we had this week, and take the work tomorrow? John Orwell. Yes. Yes. Share, Sean. Share, Sean. can't just be this. After, uh, and I think I talked to you earlier in the week about this, Rafa. Um, after the first lesson, and you talked about it, really, I mean, I was convicted with, with vocation. And I work, and working diligently, but I have vocation, and I have all the different roles that, that you just explained. But, I mean, at the office, I mean, it was definitely a, um, a, a situation where I could have succumbed to corporate culture, a specific project, but I had, um, on my calendar, to have accountability with my wife that night. And, and I stuck to it. I mean, and I think from the lesson of last week, I said, well, yeah, that is, that is vocation. That's what I'm called to do. And uh, I mean, I didn't get fired after I left when I left. And, uh, and definitely, um, you know, met the need of my family and my wife at that time. Amen. Amen. Dave. 
the opening remarks that you had of psyching yourself up, running before going into work, so that you enter in with God, was very helpful. And I also had a question, uh, sort of balancing something with the question that's here on the application. If work is a labor or a joy, um, would, wouldn't you say that when Jesus went to the cross, he, he despised the shame for the joy set before him? And so if work is all joy, that's not obedience either because we're facing the curse and sin. Absolutely. But uh, can we be joyful in the labor? You know, I mean, that's it's not a rhetorical question. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, uh, just as an example, working out. When you go out to, for a run, you go out to do push-ups, you know, doing a set of push-ups and you get towards the end and you're smoked, you know, and you're, now you're just, you're barely getting off the ground and maybe you go down to your knees to come up and then you go back on your, on your toes to go down. You're in panic a little bit. But can, can you rejoice? Can you, uh, can you push through that? You know what I, I don't think, again, I don't think we can parse that kind of thing. It's painful. It is hard. Preparing for these lessons has been hard. You know, how to organize, what to say, what not to say. You know, I would rather watch football. <laughs> no, the truth is I wouldn't. But, but the point is, it's a good word, isn't it? It's, that's one of the gifts of God. Right? When he says, he gives us joy in our toil. It doesn't mean toil. There's not a degree of sacrifice. Or, but it, it is, I think there can be joy in this. You know, I think there can be Lord, that by your great mercy, Lord, we can enjoy our work, Lord, that our work has meaning and significance. Lord, it can, it can do what we were created to do, Lord, it can bring you glory. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.